It is time to move into our scripture reading and teaching time as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount and continue working through Jesus' Beatitudes. Um, And so joining us uh, via video will be our scripture readers in a moment. And then after that, we've got a special treat. Uh, Also joining us via video, we have got Wes. And and Wes is going to be here and he's going to be uh, bringing some teaching on one of Jesus' Beatitudes, Blessed are the um, blessed are the merciful. And so uh, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. You can turn to Matthew chapter 5. And so you're going to see uh, our scripture reading video now and then our teaching video from Wes. And I'll see you on the other side. I'm reading from Matthew 5. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. My name is Wes, and my wife, Doreen, and I have been part of this South Langley Church community for 24 years. As we reflect back over the past quarter century, today we find ourselves in a very different time. COVID-19 has us in various levels of self-isolation. The death of George Floyd on May 25th in Minneapolis has turned the world on its head. His death reignited a call for change. Before Black Lives Matter, we had the Me Too movement. What these events, these movements have in common is the call to live life differently. The other day, I bumped into a friend on the trail We talked for a while, and as we were about to wind up, he reached across with his hand, and and I don't know what expression I had on my face, but inwardly, I recoiled. He realized immediately what he was doing, pulled his hand back, waved, smiled, and went on his way. We are called to live life differently. This morning, we're continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Dave has graciously given me an opportunity to participate in this series. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to live life differently. Why? Why is Jesus calling us to live life differently? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we're told that Jesus' message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We live life differently because the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew is the only gospel that uses this phrase, 
kingdom of heaven. The other three gospel writers use the term kingdom of God. Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and so he's respecting the Jewish tradition of not writing or saying God's name. Both terms, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, mean the same thing, God's rule. God's rule is near. God's rule has arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because of this, we are called to live life differently. The Beatitudes, the opening blessed statements of the Sermon on the Mount, define what our lives will look like when we begin to live life differently under God's rule. The written off, the counted out, those living on the fringe have the best chance of living life differently under God's rule. Why? Because they already are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Last Sunday, Pastor Dave took us through hungering and thirsting for justice. And he pointed out that the original word behind our English word justice can be translated into justice or righteousness. It takes two English words to flesh out its full meaning. Living justly is how righteousness gets lived out in our day-to-day lives. This morning, we tackle the fifth beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy flows like a life-giving river from Genesis through to Revelation. It's appropriate that mercy follows justice in the Beatitudes. Some of you may be familiar with the murder mystery series, Death in Paradise. The show is situated in, on a um, fictional island in the Caribbean. At the end of one of the episodes, Detective Inspector Humphrey Goodman sums up his investigation. The murderer has been identified. In fact, there have been five people involved in the murder. And this group of five appealed to the inspector to have mercy on them. Detective Inspector Goodman responds with this insightful line. He says, everyone loves justice done on somebody else. Everyone loves justice done on someone else. I'm much more forgiving of myself than I am of others. This is part of our human condition. Viola Neufeld, a counselor here in the Fraser Valley, specializes in conflict resolution. In her book, grateful for the fight, she says that we have this internal double standard. We judge others much more harshly than we judge ourselves. We judge others by the harm that they've done to us. And so we'll say, your words, your actions, they've hurt me deeply. Whereas if we hurt someone, we'll justify it with our good intentions. Hey, I was only trying to help. Give give me a break. Oh, how we need mercy. We need it, and we need to give it away. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. A dictionary definition of mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. Compassionate or kindly forbearance. Forbearance is restraint or or patience shown toward 
an offender. The big idea living in behind the Hebrew and Greek words translated as mercy is loving kindness. Another Greek word translated as mercy is rooted in the word spachnon. There's a guttural sense or feel to this word, and it means from the bowels. Today we would say from the heart. Mercy is about feeling deeply in one's most inner being. In other words, feeling compassion. Mercy is seated in compassion and loving kindness. When I started seminary, I had a hard time keeping the meanings of grace, justice, and mercy straight. So I wrote simple definitions in the back of my Bible. And for grace, I wrote, getting what you don't deserve. In other words, salvation. For justice, I wrote, getting what you deserve. And for mercy, not getting what you deserve. In other words, not getting justice and punishment. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy and forgiveness are closely linked. Jesus uses stories and parables to help us grasp the importance and the meaning of mercy. And one of the stories is found in Matthew chapter 18. And it begins with Peter approaching Jesus with a question. He asks Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Is that good? Is that enough? Seven's a holy number. That, that should be enough. That should be plenty. Jesus responds, not seven times, 70 times seven. And then he goes on and he tells a story about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decides to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who have borrowed money from him. And so he calls in one servant who owes him millions of dollars. And this man is unable to repay, and so he's about to throw the man into prison. Along with his family, the man falls to his knees and begs, begs. And we're told the master is filled with compassion. And he forgives the man his debt. The man leaves the king's court, and he goes and he finds a fellow servant, a, a fellow that owes him a few thousand dollars, and he grabs the man by the neck and demands payment, and the man can't pay him, and so he has him thrown into prison. This story comes back to the king, and the king calls the servant into his presence, and he says to the servant, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the king throws man into prison. And Jesus concludes the story, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Mercy identifies with the suffering of others. Mercy recognizes the pain and enters into the other's world to alleviate the pain. Mercy is lived out in forgiveness, in acts of loving kindness. One day, Jesus is questioned by a man who wants to know the answer to life. When you boil it all down, what's the most important thing in life, Jesus, he asks? How should I live in order to live eternally with God? And Jesus responds, well, what does the law have to say about it? And the man answers, love God with your whole being and love your neighbor with all your God. 
That's right, Jesus says, now go and live it. Looking for a loophole, the man asks, who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. A man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and there's a, a barren place along the way, and there he is robbed, beaten, and left to die. A priest comes along, and he sees the man lying on the road, and, and he walks up to him and, and sees him in his broken state, but then he goes to the opposite side of the road and continues on his way. A Levite comes down next and, and sees the man at the side of the road. He, too, crosses over to the other side and continues on his way. Each man had a good reason to pass by. could be because of his religious duty in the temple and he needed to remain pure. Or maybe it was about personal safety. A Samaritan, a man known to be the sworn enemies of the Jews, comes by and seeing the man, he has compassion on him. And he bandages his wounds, he picks him up, places him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and there he covers all his expenses. And Jesus asks, which one of these three men was a neighbor? And the man responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Mercy identifies with the suffering of others. Mercy recognizes the pain and enters into the world to alleviate that pain. We are called to live life differently. We are called to live merciful, forgiving, compassionate lives. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. A little later on in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach his followers how to pray. And we know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer is this line. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus says something else. He talks about temptation. But then in verse 14 and 15, he comes back to forgiveness. And he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Here it is. Forgive other people like God has forgiven you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Lee Strobel, in an interview, talked about his friend, Billy Moore. Billy Moore was on death row in Georgia for 16 years. He was there for murdering a man in a burglary attempt. Billy's life was transformed when he met Jesus in prison. His life was so changed that hours before his execution, the Board of Pardons and Parole held an emergency hearing. One of the Atlanta newspapers had called Billy Moore a saintly figure. The people who came to the hearing were the relatives of the victim. And this is what they had to say. They said, how can we withhold forgiveness from him after God has forgiven us so much? How can we withhold forgiveness from him after God has forgiven us so much? Billy Moore was ultimately set free. He's an elder in his church, and he's reaching out to the young people where he lives. Justice has, had sentenced Billy Moore to death. Mercy 
gave him life. The Apostle James in his letter writes, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is life-giving. Justice and judgment may be right, but mercy is righteous. Dallas Willard, who wrote volumes on the spiritual discipline, said this, One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. Mercy is what allows us to live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Mercy is what allows us not to hurt people with our rightness. Revenge, it seems so right, so righteous. Judgment, justice demands it. Jesus calls us to forgive. And forgiveness isn't easy. At the core, at the very center of this word forgiveness is another word, the word give. Forgiveness is a giving up. It's a giving up the right to punish the other person for his sin, her wrong. It means stepping outside the legal system where personal rights and justice dominate, where an eye for an eye rules. It means stepping into the land of mercy where the words, I forgive you, reign supreme. You may remember Shane Koizen, the spoken word poet, from the poem he recited during our 2010 Winter Olympics here in Vancouver. Shane's life has not been easy. He, he's experienced much hurt and, and deep wounds. A documentary was done on his life, a documentary that was called Shut Up and Say Something. In the documentary, Shane says, what is the point of love if we can't use it to forgive people who hurt you, if you can't use it to do something positive? What is the point of love if you can't use it to forgive people who hurt you? Mercy births new life in us. William Barclay, a theologian, says this about mercy. Mercy has the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with her mind, and feel things with his feelings. Mercy is the picture of God. God meets Moses on Mount Sinai, and he comes down in a cloud, and, and he passes in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord! The God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Walter Wangren talks about God's three acts of mercy. The first act of mercy was to convict us of death. We don't like this first act. We wonder how in the world is this merciful? To know that sin leads to death and death separates us from God forever is a terrifying thought. This is the definition of hell, eternal separation from God. How is this love, loving, merciful? To let us walk into the darkness of death without a word would be a horrible wrong. Many hate God for this revelation. Many curse him for telling us this truth. God's second act of mercy would have no meaning, would make no sense without 
his first. His second act of mercy was to become what mercy is. What is mercy? Mercy is the ability to get right inside a person's skin. God himself bowed low to the ground and entered our humanity. He took on flesh and bone. He put on eyebrows, kneecaps, and toenails. He emptied himself of all his glory and became human. He joined us, sharing in the danger and terror of life and death. God's third act of mercy was to allow Jesus, God in the flesh, to die the death meant for us. He took our death in order to give us life. There's no way that we can make ourselves right or righteous before God. As much as we seek to be good, to live righteous lives, we always fall short. God has made us right with himself through Jesus. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been made right before God. This is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the definition of mercy. God took Jesus and placed all our unrighteousness, our messes, our sin, our crookedness on him. And he returned, and in return, God took Jesus' righteousness, his holiness, purity, spotlessness, and placed that upon those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He took the judgment which was meant for us and placed it upon himself. Paul in Ephesians 2 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. There are words. When paired with other words, create a feeling of dissonance, discord within us. These words don't belong together, but there they are, living uncomfortably side by side. We call these pairings an oxymoron. For example, jumbo shrimp, original copies, seriously funny, cruel kindness, living death. There's a folk rock band made up of three guys, Joseph Arthur, Ben Harper, and Donnie Harrison. The name of the band is Fistful of Mercy. And one of the songs on their only album is titled Fistful of Mercy. When I first heard fist and mercy in the same sentence, it set me on edge. You, you've caught my attention. Fist and mercy do not belong together. Mercy and grace, that works. Fist and justice, that works. And we've seen many fists raised in the air on protest marches, demanding justice. Fistful of mercy? I, I don't know. One of the verses in the song, Fistful of Mercy, says this. Maybe it's soft inside of hard. Fistful of mercy. Maybe it comes from where we are, the land of the thirsty, the hungry. 
Last week's beatitude was, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Mercy comes from the land of the thirsty, the hungry. Mercy is born in the soil of justice and righteousness. Our righteousness is Jesus. As we hunger and thirst for Jesus, mercy will follow a fistful of mercy. A mercy that overwhelms and breaks down the walls built by people thinking they're protecting themselves. A fistful of mercy allows the love of Jesus to come in and heal. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What do we do with this beatitude? How are we going to live with it this week? Here are three reflection questions, questions to take with you. So the first is, what is your story of receiving mercy? You deserve punishment, but rather than being punished, you were forgiven. Who showed you loving kindness, and, and how did it make you feel? Second question is, how have you experienced God's mercy in your life? Maybe you haven't experienced God's mercy, and today is the day where you simply need to ask him for forgiveness, to receive his mercy and become part of his family. Do that. Experience God's incredible forgiving mercy. And finally, question three. Which neighbor are you being asked to show mercy? Who is the neighbor you need to show mercy the Sermon on the Mount calls us to live life differently. Today, mercy, a fistful of mercy, is how we respond to this call. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Amen.